Hey, this is Jeff Vaughn, and welcome to another edition of Chat with Leaders, where we're passionate about amplifying the stories of leaders who show us how to use their influence as a force for good. Have you ever worked for a terrible leader? If you have, you would probably never expect them to have the vulnerability and humility to admit to their terrible leadership, nor would you expect them to ever turn the corner to become a compassionate, empathetic, and conscientious leadership coach. Well, meet Shannon Gill, the founder and chief guide of Guided Ventures Group based in Atlanta, Georgia, where she specializes in helping leaders, teams, and organizations create more human-centered and conscious businesses for the 21st century through elevating people. In today's chat, we unpack Shannon's self-described confessions of a terrible leader, why it was important for her to admit her terrible leadership in the first two decades of her career, and how that has led to the inspiring ways she now helps leaders, teams, and organizations create more human-centered and conscious businesses in the 21st century through elevating people. We also chat about her role on the board of Conscious Capitalism Atlanta and how the Conscious Capitalism movement has positively influenced the way she guides her clients towards new ways to lead, live, and learn. It always gives me joy and hope to know there are authentic, vulnerable, and humble leaders like Shannon who truly care about elevating leadership and businesses as a driving force towards our sustainable and bright future. All right, are you ready? Let's jump into this chat with Shannon Gill. Welcome to Chat with Leaders, Shannon. Thanks, Jeff. I'm so excited to be here. What a great program you have. I've so enjoyed it. Well, it's such a privilege to have you on. And I know that we are going to jump in on the topic of confessions of a terrible leader. But before me and all the experiences that I've had with you, Shannon, is that you're a remarkable, conscientious fantastic leaders. So I'm really excited to unpack your reflections on how you've grown as a leader and then talk a little bit about how we as leaders in our organizations and our spheres of influence can do better today and really step up. Thanks, Jeff. I'm excited too. Got a lot of undoing to do as well from the first two decades of my leadership. So great opportunity to share. So let's start there. So what makes you say that you were a terrible leader in those first few decades of your career? Yeah, my 20s and 30s. I'm so sorry to anybody who worked for me. Seriously, I feel so bad for them. Actually, it started at the very, very beginning of my leadership. I was a young leader at 23 years old. I was a leader in Hong Kong. I'd gone over there to do some work, spent five years over there, which I loved. But my first team was all Chinese Hong Kong. And I was trying to be a good leader, didn't work out, but it just kind of went downhill from there, to be honest. And the two big reasons, and I'll share more about that story in a second, but the two big things were, first of all, I burned people out. So I pushed them. I was highly motivated and I expected everybody else to work at my pace and my expectation level. And I just push, push, push. But I think when I reflect on it, the bigger issue is that I built and then burned trust continuously. It was a continuous cycle of building and burning and building and burning that trust with my teams. And I'll give you an example of that. You know, Going back to that 23-year-old kid who was in Hong Kong in a Chinese manufacturing company, go figure, You know, working for peanuts back then. And literally, I was the only Westerner. I was the only Caucasian in this team. So imagine someone trying to get a Chinese Hong Kong, a 23-year-old, trying to get a, a Chinese Hong Kong team around a table in a conference room in a manufacturing setting, doing watches and clocks manufacturing, and saying, I want your buy-in. You need to buy into the processes. I want your feedback on the strategy. We need to figure this out together. And they're just looking at me like, what are you talking about? Because first of all, they didn't all even speak English. 
So, you know, there's a challenge there in the starting point. But then also that's just not what they were used to from a leadership style at all. They were very used to being told what to do. It's a, a Chinese culture, that kind of thing. So I was trying to build trust with them and do all these things. But what would happen, and this was a sort of a habit throughout my career, what would happen is that as soon as things got pressures, our clients were American clients, European clients. So I was dealing with the Americans and the Europeans. And, you know, here I'm the kid over in Hong Kong helping them out in the manufacturing, you know, making Mickey watches, all kinds of stuff. And what would happen is that as soon as something would go wrong, I turned into like a Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, I was like, okay, you got to do this. You got to work overtime. You got to come in over the weekends. You got to do this. We got to get this out. This is life or death. If these watches don't make it to New York, they are not, you know, we're, we're heads are going to roll, you know, so I would just do this big Jekyll Hyde kind of thing. So when I talk about building and burning trust, I would get the buy-in, but then I would just turn into command and control, complete command and control style of leadership, even to the point of being just really, really bossy and fast forward that. And I did that in a lot of different roles over the years where I would garner the buy-in and try to get the team together. But as soon as I hit stress, as soon as I felt the pressure, as soon as I started to see that we were not going to make some sort of a deadline that I promised, then I just turned into this completely different leader. And I found myself in my mid-30s, actually, because I always got big projects. I was highly motivated, very career-focused, much more so than family-focused. So I always had high-profile clients, high-profile projects, no matter what company I was working for, what role, et cetera. And so in my mid-30s, I was asked to stand up a leadership development program and a learning and development for a Fortune 1000 company in payment space, TSIS. And so I was literally building programs with my team of 12 to support leaders in being great leaders. And I was being a terrible leader because it was a high-profile project. It was linked to strategy. It was millions of dollars in vendors, things like that. And I pushed and pushed and pushed my team to the point where people left my team because I was such a terrible leader while I'm building a leadership development program. Ugh, really? <laughs> so, so yeah, I was a terrible leader. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And once you establish that trust and you break that trust, there's almost no going back, right? People seeing the same cycle over and over again. And I'm sure that really caused some tension on the team then. And, you know, it looks like you grew up as a daughter of a bank CEO and holding director and VP roles in large organizations, probably a lot of pressure there to really perform and show up that you put on yourself. And I think there's uh, some, maybe some conceptions or misconceptions, if you will, of what leadership looked like in terms of driving performance in those eras that you just were adhering to and you thought was the kind of prototypical leader that you needed to embody day to day. So what, I guess, what commonly held beliefs do you believe were there about being an effective leader during that time that maybe influenced how you treated others or how you led at that time in your life? Yeah, totally. And as actually, it's interesting you brought up my dad because I learned about servant leadership as a kid because that was his style and that was what he worked with. So it wasn't like I never knew anything. Mm-hmm. Servant leadership was a big thing for Synovus and we used to listen to tapes in the car, you know, back when cassette tapes were a thing and, you know, aging myself, of course. But you're talking about leading from the heart. So I was always kind of understood that, but it didn't quite, I didn't know how to execute on it. But yeah, I think the, the biggest challenge was that as leaders, especially for those of us who grew up looking at leadership in the 90s based on the 80s. I mean, think of all of the big corporate Wall Street movies and all that during the the 80s, right? That, you know, people are resources, people are assets, people are something that you use. It's a transaction. They give you something and you give them something, which is a paycheck. 
And that is the whole purpose of working. And it's a transaction. It's not a relationship. And that's the important part. It's about the results. And if you don't give me the results, I'll find somebody who will replace you and who will. And that was the mindset that we heard all through the 80s, especially during the big corporate booms. And I took it to heart, man. I was like, okay, you know, we're going to be a mover, a shaker, and, you know, we're going to get things done and get results. And the reality is that what I've figured out over time is that that mentality says the only value you bring to this life or to this work is the results that you bring in, that you have no value unless you get results. And so what that meant for me is I believe for myself, if I didn't give you these outcomes, I promised you, if I didn't deliver the results, I was worthless to you as an employee. My value as a human being meant nothing. And so I was continuously trying to drive this results. And the reason that I drove so hard, everybody else, including myself and burnt myself out a couple of times is because I believe that I wasn't producing my self-worth was on the line. I needed someone to tell me I was doing a good job because my validation was all coming from outside Hmm. of me, not from myself. So if I, you know, it's, what have you done for me lately, Shannon? And if I wasn't feeling that people were appreciating me for the results I was creating, I had no value as a human being. Hmm. And that's the 180 shift that we have to make as leaders and recognize that everyone has value as a human being first and the outcomes and the results come as part of that. Right. I completely agree. And I've, I've struggled with that in my career too, is that need for validation, you know, is what I'm doing, does it matter? Does it matter to anybody? And, and particularly when you're in a leadership role and you're there to drive performance and you're there to succeed in that leadership role, I think we, we tie our self-worth to those outcomes of yeah. company performance and not how you build relationships within the organization and drive performance along with relationships and, and better culture and so forth. So we'll, we'll come there and on this transformation. But why do you think it's been so important for you to first admit to having been a terrible leader? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think there's a couple of reasons. So first is I want to model vulnerability. You know, if you look at the research and I'm a research hound, I love research and Brene Brown, her research is like cutting edge in this topic. But if you want to show up as a great leader, you've got to start with vulnerability, which means admitting you don't have all the answers, admitting you have flaws, admitting you have faults, admitting that we're in this together you know, that I don't have all the knowledge. So for me, one of the things that I actually do is when I'm in that place of insecurity, when my self-esteem is low, when I feel like I'm out of control in a situation, I go to arrogance. That's one of my stress behaviors and recognizing that I get arrogant and become a know-it-all. So talking about this helps to remind myself and create humility for myself because it's really important for me. So modeling vulnerability and creating humility, but also it creates compassion because what happens is when you recognize that people are wired and tying their self-worth back to results from a job, that you can have some compassion for these leaders that do the Jekyll and Hyde thing. And you can have some compassion for some of your people who may be struggling with those type A personality traits as well of really needing that validation. So that's kind of the reasons, right? Let's talk about vulnerability. Let's talk about humility. Let's talk about how do we create compassion? I love that. Those three tiers of vulnerability, humility, and compassion have never been more important than in the last couple of years of the pandemic and just the weight of everything going on in people's lives. And I think everyone is struggling with that in their own ways, no matter where you're at in your career or your life context. And compassion was the word that just kept repeating in my mind. We need to have compassion for one another during this time and as leaders, particularly with our peoples. 
We are going to take a quick break for this message from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Inspire EDU, a nonprofit organization putting technology devices into the hands of Atlanta's underserved communities. The need for technology devices has accelerated due to the pandemic, and Inspire EDU makes a positive difference helping marginalized learners. Through its partners and supporters like you, Inspire EDU helps learners become 21st century scholars. Learn how you can support their mission at iuatl.org. And now back to our chat. So for you, what was the kind of moment or time frame that led you to start seeing things a little bit differently if you needing to make that 180 shift? Yeah, that's a great question. And it is a journey, right? So I'm never going to say that I do it perfectly. I think we're always learning. We're always growing. You know, I love Carol Dweck's growth mindset work around that, but it's true. We're always, always growing and learning. So, but my journey, the, the pivotal point where I started going, ooh, something is not right here literally when I was making and creating that leadership development program. So the first thing that happened was I lost my team member. My team member left who was working on the program that I had assigned to it because I had a lot of different projects going on. And she basically said, the stress is too much. I have to go. The second piece was I asked, we were so successful. I said, okay, this is a great time for me to request a promotion to a different role. I asked for a promotion that gave me an executive coach, (laughs) you know, so it doesn't matter that my results were amazing and the feedback was phenomenal. The fact that I had burnt people out and left a trail of bodies in the process meant that I wasn't getting promoted and that I needed some help. And working with that coach was the starting point for me to recognize I was being seen as arrogant and that I was actually struggling with some some self-worth issues as part of the process, which is why I was burning everybody out so much. So that was the starting of the journey. I think that's great. Have you ever had any contact with the person who left on that team or had any kind of reconciliation or conversations since then? You know, I'm so glad you asked that because I've been thinking about that. Like the last couple of years, I keep thinking I need to reach out to her. And I I think I will. The fact that you asked, I'm going to do that. Yeah. I think reconciliation brings peace to all parties affected, Mm. you know, and it's almost relieving to to get that uh, off of our minds, off of our chest sometimes, and hopefully find a good opportunity to apologize and move forward in a different direction. But I also agree with the coach. I think it's so incredibly important to have somebody that can bring truth and honesty to a relationship, even to a leader, no matter if you're an executive or what level you're at in your leadership journey. Because I think being honest with people is the most loving, caring thing you can do human to human, but it's also the truth that hurts sometimes the most. And we have to be able to confront that. So wonderful points of view there. What have you learned now to be the top characteristic? So as you're putting together these leadership training courses, what have you learned to be the top characteristics that epitomize a good 21st century leader? Yeah, that's a great question, Jeff, because it's one of those things that's been a journey, right? And and if you asked me even three or four years ago, I might have had a different answer. So I've been working on that for a decade. I'm 50 now. And so 40 is about when I really started getting into doing other things. And to your point, I've one of my reconciliations now, I coach other people (laughs) because of the fact that it was such an impactful thing for me. It's one of the roles that we offer up at at GBG. But the big thing for me, though, it kind of comes down to a couple of core values, to be honest. So and I've come up with an acronym that I use and I remind myself of it every day. And it's what I share with other people. It's CORE, C-O-R-E, curiosity. So curiosity, and this is 21st century leadership stuff, right? Last century leadership was command and control, you know, get it done, get there. 
this century, it's about coach and collaborate because these generations, especially the millennials and the Gen Z coming behind them, they are not going to just take orders. It's not going to happen that way. Even our military friends are finding struggles with the young kids in their 20s who come to work because they want to know why the orders are what they are. They don't want to just follow the orders. No, you got to explain it to me. Give me the purpose. You know, of course, Simon Sinek, you've mentioned him before. You know, what is the purpose of this? How does that meaning connect? And that curiosity for us allows us as a coach to say, gosh, you know, help me understand how you think that way. Help me understand what's driving this curiosity about that higher purpose, curiosity about meaning. That curiosity just helps us be better humans. Because at the end of the day, to be better leaders, you have to start by being a better human. I mean, that's kind of the, the crux. But the, the O in that acronym of CORE is for ownership. How do we encourage others to take ownership? And ownership is even higher than personal accountability in my mind. Ownership is motivated to do, not just required to do. It's that intrinsic motivation that we hear about. And owning your own stuff, which that's part of the reason I talk about this stuff. I am owning the fact that I sucked as a leader. I'm owning it and doing everything I can to be a great example to others so that they don't do what I did. <laughs> Let me be, make your own mistakes. Let me share my mistakes so that you don't have to follow them, right? Love so it. ownership, yeah. Respect. So the R is respect. This is where for me, everything comes down to. If we respect everybody as being human beings, if we respect people for the value they bring, not just the results that they contribute. If we were, it doesn't mean we don't necessarily find them a different seat on the bus if they're not a good fit for the results that we need. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that you respect the fact that you are transparent with them, that you are open with them, that you bring and respect who they are from a diversity perspective. If we had respect as a country and as a world, we would not have the diversity and inclusion problems that we have right now if respect was at our core values and we lived it every day. So respect is huge. And then the the last is empathy. And this is a huge, huge skill set that we have too little of that is so required for the 21st century leadership. Empathy and showing up with empathy and compassion. And I tie those two together very closely. You know, Brene will tell you that compassion is even a higher level than empathy. But empathy and being able to understand people's point of view and accept and see their point of view is so important. That's where curiosity and empathy work really nicely together. But that empathy and showing up as a human, you know, bringing that core, that curiosity, that ownership, that respect, and that empathy together, that's what it's all about. I couldn't agree with you more. And I I think each one of those could be a podcast episode in itself for us to collaborate on. But to touch on curiosity, when I started this podcast a year and a half ago, it was kind of predicated on, I'm curious to know how other leaders are forging ahead faithfully amid this uncertain time of the pandemic. I talked to one of my mentors and, and kind of heard his point of view and it just, it really created inspiration and hope. And so I've been on this journey of talking to other leaders like you that are remarkable and that bring this amazing perspective. And that curiosity has just edified me in so many ways. And I think just wanting to learn more about other people in whatever context it is in your business or in your life, it really leads to a lot more clarity and just a lot more hopefulness and inspiration. And I love all of those. So we'll have to touch on that more, but I would feel remiss with the remaining time we have not to ask you how you first got involved with conscious capitalism and how that's influenced the way that you guide your clients towards new ways to lead, live, and learn. So conscious capitalism, I feel like I've come home. I've discovered it in the last couple of years. It's a movement, actually. So what it is, it's a movement that was started by John Mackey and Raj Sodia and some others, Kip Kendall, from Container Store, Whole Foods, these guys, that says, essentially, you can run a business and 
and still make a profit and still be great to your people and still be great for the planet and still be great with your partners and have win-win-win solutions, have conscious leadership, have conscious deliberate culture. So, it, and they have great examples over and over and over again. Raj actually wrote a book called Firms of Endearment, where he proved that financially companies that followed these kinds of tenets that had this humanistic approach to win-win-win solutions and to business were actually more profitable than even the good to great companies of Jim Collins' work a while before. So it's been some really interesting research in the last eight or 10 years around how conscious business can truly be right for the planet. And the time is now. I mean, we've seen the pandemic has accelerated this amazing trend towards conscious business. The CEO Roundtable actually came out with a statement right before the pandemic that said, hey, it's no longer just about shareholder value, which was their statement from the 90s. It's that actually it's all stakeholders matter now. And this is like the top 500 CEOs in the world. So we are seeing this massive, amazing movement. And so Conscious Capitalism is one of many organizations who are helping to perpetuate the stories, to tell the stories, to engage the leaders who are trying to create more conscious businesses. You know, Be Local George is another one. You know, I know that you had CEO of Adventorium Solutions on recently as well. I mean, those are, there are Be Local Corp. So basically, this is a whole entire movement. And so for me, what I do is I bring, first of all, I try to run my business that way. So I'm always checking all four tenants and saying, am I doing it the right way? So I do things like I have a revenue credit program where if you refer a client to me and you're a client of mine, then I give 10% of that new sale from the referral client back to you in the form of services. But what I recommend is everyone uses it to donate to a nonprofit. So nonprofit teams don't usually get good team development, team dynamics, training, leadership kind of stuff. And so someone like the Home Depot that I work with or or other big companies that I work with, they have the opportunity if they were for a client to actually donate to, you know, one of their nonprofits like Wounded Warrior Project, for example, Mm -hmm. to actually get some leadership. So creating and that's trying I'm trying to give you an example of win-win-win, right? So this would be a win-win-win solution where the in that sense the community is winning. In addition to GVG and to uh, my clients. So that's how, yeah. Yeah. When you talk about stakeholder orientation too, uh, and it's not just, you know, shareholders, it's customers, employees, vendors, investors, communities, and what you're talking about in terms of giving back to nonprofits and really creating value in your community through your capitalist business that's profitable and that's growing, it can create sustainable change. And it's just so inspiring to see leaders like you who are taking that seriously and really making the world a better place and leaving it in the hands of leaders that can take it to a better place than where we found it. So if people wanted to learn more about you, Shannon, or follow your business or anything, where would you guide them online? Sure. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. GVGworld.com is our website. And then I'm also on LinkedIn. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Shannon Gill, obviously in Atlanta, Georgia. And then of course, you can follow us. We've got Facebook and we've got Instagram and some of the social media. But the best place to learn more is honestly going to be our website or just reach out. Happy to chat with anybody. Well, I highly recommend it. Shannon, it's been such a gift to know you. I'm so glad it was in the plan for us to meet and for me to be edified and to learn from everything that you have to offer through your terrible leadership years that has transformed you into a remarkable leader. So again, thank you so much for spending this time with us today. And Jeff, thank you so much for getting the word out and to help people with this conscious business platform. I mean, I love it. This is amazing. And what you're doing is fantastic. Thank you so much for the work you do and the inspiration that you bring. You inspire hope, empower change, and drive connection, which is what we want to do every day. Wow. Well, my pleasure. Thank you, Shannon. Hey, this is Jeff Bond. And thank you so much for investing your time with us today. 
We'd be thrilled for you to subscribe, rate, review, and share this episode on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please also visit our LinkedIn page to join our leadership community by clicking follow. We're grateful for your engagement and for sharing the inspiration coming from our guests so we can add value to aspiring leaders in your network. Have a remarkable week and go be a leader worth following.